Hi, Pastor Anthony here. At Vintage Faith Church, we stand behind the Bible's claim to be the Word of God, and we believe that the Scriptures contain everything needed for life and godliness. The Scriptures testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that this recording stirs your faith towards that end. This is in no way meant to be a substitute for the local church gathering, which we believe is critical to your growth as a Christian and your walk with Christ. We pray that you will find the sermon edifying and challenging. Thank you for listening. All right, so uh, good morning. And the next few weeks, uh, I'm not entirely sure how many weeks it it will be. We're going to be in the wisdom literature in the Bible. Um, So these sermons are going to take on a bit of a different texture. If you've read the the wisdom literature, you you know that that the wisdom books often confound and confuse people. They they don't quite understand how this fits into the gospel and how it fits into our relationship with Christ. And and there's a lot of mistakes that can be made. um, but, But I don't want to... Uh, ignore the wisdom literature. I, I think as we think about our, our church and our walk in Christ, um, we, we need to have just somehow a steady folding in uh, of these books. Um, so we're going to take, again, three, maybe four weeks um, in, in some of the wisdom books. Um, and I hope in, in some way, I'm going to tell you my goal in the next three weeks, it's to inspire you to really love the wisdom books. I really hope, and, and I want to challenge, um, challenge isn't the wrong word, right word. I, I want, um, I would love to see people just digging into the, the Proverbs this year. Like do your Bible reading and, and, and do what you need to do, but let's maybe spend some time in the Proverbs. Um, and, and you're going to hear from me today as to why I, I think that's important. Um, I'm going to start with a, a quote from A.W. Tozer, The Knowledge of the Holy. Great book. Highly recommend it. Um, here we go. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. Wisdom is, in fact, the practical side of moral goodness. As such, it is found in its fullness only in God. He alone is naturally and entirely and invariably wise. So only God is all wise, but we can, as God's creatures, as God's people, live in his wisdom. But what Tozer is saying here, and I want to kind of just start um, here, and and, and hopefully this undergirds everything we do for the next three weeks. Wisdom is taking the law of God, the morals of God, and saying, how do I apply that to, to my life? What does God's moral framework look like as it's worked out in my life? Now, the year, I almost said 2022, the year is 2023. Um, the last three years have been cr- pretty crazy. Uh, we've had a lot going on in, in our culture. And I would say that, that two things 
push against wisdom, uh, before we really dig into to, to the, to the scriptures today, two things push against wisdom in our time that we have to be aware of. Number one, we live in a time in human history where there are no moral absolutes, or at least it is crumbling. So if wisdom is the outworking of moral absolutes, God's law, if it is the practical way to work out God's law in our lives, and the culture around us says, there is no law, there's no moral absolute, we are going to find ourselves living in a day and an age where wisdom is lacking. Because if there's no moral absolutes, why do you need wisdom? Why do you need wisdom? So that's the first thing that's going to push against us. Now, we're people of the book. We believe in God's word. So we can defend that pretty easy. And when I say defend, it doesn't creep in too much into our minds and our hearts. But we live in a culture that is growing increasingly foolish. And that foolishness is because it's growing increasingly less moral. There is the, the only moral absolute is, hey, you can do anything and don't tell me what I need to do. That seems to be the one law that the culture has kind of grabbed on to. All right, let's look at, we're, we're going to, okay, before I get into to the scripture here in Job, Traditionally, there are five wisdom books in the Bible. Sometimes you'll hear it as three, but traditionally it's five. Proverbs, <clears throat> Job, Ecclesiastes, the Psalms, and the Song of Solomon, or the Song of Songs. So five books in the Bible, they're all grouped together, and they're poetic in nature, proverbial in nature, and they have a different texture than law or letters or gospel. It, 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 they feel different. They sound different. We have to, to, to ingest them differently. So let, let's begin in Job. Job is asking this question after his friends are, are just basically telling him, hey, you, you, Job, you're suffering because you did something wrong. And, and at the end of, and we're maybe going to look at Job in a few weeks, um, but, but Job begins talking about wisdom in Job 28. He says, where, but where shall wisdom be found? It's a question we should ask ourselves. Where, where is wisdom found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me, and the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. So you'll see in these five books of, 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 of wisdom books, you're, you're going to constantly hear from these authors that wisdom is so valuable, but where do you find it? It can't be bought it's not just here. It, it has to come from a higher source. And of course, we know that higher source is the, the Lord. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 8, he distinguishes wisdom from knowledge. So we, we got to do a little work here. Wisdom is not the same thing as, as knowledge. It's not the same thing as knowing. Um, 
Paul says, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. So wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. Okay, our, our culture right now, we live in a time where knowledge is plentiful. Think about it for a moment. If you were to ask, and we, we all do this probably every day, and maybe the younger generation a little more than the older generation, somebody has a question about something, what do you do? You reach in your phone, or you don't even, and I, hey Siri, and I say that, my phone might answer, so... <laughs> That's crazy, by the way. That, that is absolute crazy. We, we do that in our house. And hey, Siri, and it's like, wow. Um, <clears throat> we can look up. We can get answers. We have the knowledge at our fingertips is unlike any time in human history. There is not a shortage of knowledge in the world today. There is a shortage of wisdom. There's a shortage of wisdom. Wisdom is knowing what to do and how to live with knowledge. It's knowing what is the right knowledge. This knowledge versus this knowledge. So wisdom is, is something different. We live in a time there is an information overload. Um, in psychology, and, and I'm going to be quick here, but I, I think it, it matters. Um, in psychology, they, there, there's something called uh, a working memory. You've probably heard the, the term short-term memory, long-term memory, um, but they have something called a working memory, and that's uh, you go about life, and you're taking in knowledge, and, and, and your mind is, is there, there's a certain amount of uh, effort that your mind is using to, to do that. So if you're scrolling through TikTok, or um, maybe the older people don't know that, maybe you're on YouTube and you're scrolling through, your mind is working. That's, it, it's called working memory. Um, the problem is that working memory needs silence and time to, to digest information to become long-term memory. Working memory, if overloaded, doesn't digest. Now think about this. If you eat a ton of food and you're constantly eating food and you're eating food and you're eating food, eventually you're going to throw up. You're not going to digest all that food. You're going to get sick. And, and psychologists say, we have a problem in our current world with this. We have way too much knowledge and we're just bringing it in and we don't have the spaces to uh, develop that knowledge into long-term memory. And here's the problem. This is um, from a, a, a best-selling author, Nicholas Carr. In 2010, he wrote a book called The Shallows. And it, the idea was, what is the internet doing to our brain? And he says this. Brain scientists have come to understand that long-term memory is actually the seat of understanding. And, and he's not talking about wisdom, but uh, that, 
He doesn't use the word wisdom, but that, that's what he's referring to, the seed of understanding, long-term memory. It stores not just facts, but complete schemas. Schemas are just like if you walk into, say, a wedding, you know what to do at a wedding because you've been at a wedding before. You know how to relate to people. You know that, hey, it's about time for this. You know that, that the bride matters. and the, you know, your, your brain has, has made a paradigm or a schema for Here's how you operate a wedding. at a wedding. Even though every wedding is, is different, you can walk into a wedding and know how to be because your brain has put all these pieces together. And he says this, our, um, our intellectual effectiveness is derived largely from schemas we have acquired over long periods of time. We're able to understand concepts because we have schemas associated with them. Some studies link ADD to the overloading of working memory, just taking a lot in, right? Um, experiments indicate that as we reach the limits of our working memory, it becomes harder to distinguish relevant information from irrelevant information, signal from noise. We become mindless consumers of data. And as I was preparing the sermon, I was thinking, okay, we have like the, the generationally, this is working itself out different. I know I have young kids and I, and I, I'm a partaker in technology myself. So I know, um, that I got to fight that in a certain way. I, I, I work in front of a computer. Um, I can prepare a sermon, but guess what? I can get like, Oh, let me go to YouTube and see uh, what's going on on YouTube. And, and before long, I can spend two hours. I, I mean, it, two hours go by, I don't even know. Um, I've seen that happen. I don't do TikTok for the very reason. I had TikTok for one week, and you're just like 30 seconds. And then again, you look at your clock, whoa, I, what did I just do with two hours of my time? So that's what Carr is getting at. We live in a day and an age where we're just knowledge, pouring knowledge into ourselves, but it is doing something to us, and it's not good. So when we think about wisdom, two things that I think in our current day we got to think about. Number one, the culture says there's no moral absolutes. If wisdom operates from law, from moral absolutes, if the world around us says there aren't any, you can't have wisdom. It can't exist. Think about that for a moment. So we have to fight that because, yes, we're in the church and we think differently, but the world around us is constantly pushing on us. And then the second one is there is just an extreme amount of information at our fingertips, and that pushes back against wisdom. You might think differently, like, oh, the more information, the better, but no, that's not the case. All right, let's keep going. Job 28. 16 to 19, the, the value of wisdom. What does the Bible say about the value of wisdom? It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal, the price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. So all throughout the wisdom books, 
You're going to hear wisdom is of more value than gold. It's of more value than jewels. It's of more value than possessions. And I would ask you this morning as we we dig in here, um, is that true in your life? Is wisdom even a, a category in your life? You know, do you, do you have that as something where you say, hey, I want to grow as a human being. Maybe, you know, it's a new January, right? That resolutions, and, and I know that I'm, I'm trying to exercise and eat healthier, and I'm not against resolutions, even though a lot of them fail, but I think January is a good time to do that. Um, but do you have a category for, I want to grow in godly wisdom? Do you have a category for that? And if you don't, I would just say, why not? Let's, let's start. And again, maybe this year it's opening up the book of Proverbs. If you're married, reading it with your spouse. Um, there's a lot of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. All right, so a, a basic uh, flyover of, of the wisdom books. And, and for some, I know you're, you're very, uh, you have history with these books and others, maybe not. But um, Proverbs is, is, is a book that's largely going to say, do this, live wise, and get this, okay? Live like a fool and reap this. And if you've read the book of Proverbs, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Here's one, Proverbs 10, 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Proverbs has a a lot of sayings like this. Now, here's, here's, we got to think about this. That's not always true. It's definitely not always true. So the Proverbs have have a certain texture to them, and we got to know how to to read them. If we hold God saying, that's a a promise, that's true, well, what about uh, every disciple who was murdered for their faith? Um, What about the the young child that dies uh, who had faith in Christ? Um, surely we're not going to them and saying, you died because you were wicked. Um, so, so Proverbs brings a certain universal truth. The flip side of that is everyone in here knows people that have given their lives to destruction and, and sin, and, and you know someone that maybe has died, has had a short life. So there's, a, a, there's something in Proverbs 10.27 that's woven into the fabric of creation that is true. You follow the Lord, you live well, you live good, you will be healthier, you will have a long life. But there's also something about it that's not true. People get sick and they've done nothing to, to, to deserve getting sick. They get sick because we live in a fallen world. So Proverbs needs to be balanced out. Proverbs is balanced out by the book of Job. So just, again, this, today's going to be kind of a, 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 a quick flyover. Um, so the book of Job is, is, is exploring this very question. Job was a righteous man, and he suffered terribly. And his three friends come along and say, Job, you must have some kind of sin in your life. And at the end, God vindicates Job. And you're left with we don't know why the righteous suffer. And, and, and if you're a very like uh, A-type kind of uh, need things in a box type person, you're going to struggle with that because Job seems to contradict 
Proverbs, but it doesn't. They're coming at wisdom from two different angles. Again, Job's really just shattering, like wise and good living equals success and reward, and evil and foolish and stupid living equals disaster and punishment. That is often true, but it is not always true. It is not always true. And if you believe that that is always true, we're going to make a lot of mistakes with people who are suffering. Right? We don't go to somebody that's suffering and say, you brought that on yourself, which is what Job's friends did. And they were rebuked. So Job contradicts Proverbs, or not contradicts, balances Proverbs. And then you've got this preacher in Ecclesiastes. If you've read Ecclesiastes, you might be thinking, why is this book even in the Bible? This guy, he sounds like he needs a hug. He sounds like he's depressed. What's wrong with him? You know, many think it's Solomon. Many don't think it's not Solomon. But you got the, the writer of Ecclesiastes coming along and he's saying, it's all meaningless. It's all a vapor. All of it. And he even goes so far as to say in, in 117 that wisdom is a striving after the wind. Let's uh, read 117. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. So again, Proverbs is all about pursuing wisdom. Job is asking the question about why do the good suffer? And the writer of Ecclesiastes is going to come in and just say, hey, if you're searching for, for things under the sun to fulfill that deep ache in your heart, you ain't going to find it. Not even in wisdom. And then you have the Psalms and, and the Song of, of Songs. And, and the Psalms are going to show the range of human emotion and how that works out with God's truth doctrine. So the psalmists are, are crying out. They're real. They're struggling. They're, they're having doubt at times. They're, they're asking God, where is he? Just like we, we do. And, and it's the doctrine working out in the range of human emotions. And then the Song of Songs is a married, uh, romantic uh, love between a man and a woman, and also allegorically showing us God's love for the church. So that, that is the overview of the wisdom literature. And again, in the next few weeks, we're going to jump in to just one spot, maybe in each book, and, and, and just kind of go through it before we get into to the next sermon series. All right, let's continue in Job. Job's asking this question, where does wisdom come from? From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of, of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. So another thing that you're going to see about wisdom throughout all the wisdom books is wisdom was present at creation. OK? 
Okay? You're going to see it in Proverbs, and Psalms, in Job, that the wisdom, the world was created um, through, we know, through God, through the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, but, but wisdom is present. Wisdom, if you think about it like this, is woven into the fabric of the world. The world, you could call it the, the logos, the reason, but the wisdom is woven into the fab, fabric of the world. We'll talk about that in a minute. Where do we find wisdom? We have to start here. Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Brothers and sisters, we cannot have wisdom without knowing the Lord. That's the beginning. That's, that's the start. There's no other start. So when you hear wisdom and hear about worldly wisdom, if they don't know the Lord, um, it's not the wisdom that the Bible is talking about. Psalm 14, the beginning of it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So, so right away, the Bible's very clear. Like, if you want to have wisdom, fear the Lord. Not some made-up, wishy-washy Lord. The Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ incarnate. Fear the Lord. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of wisdom. And anybody that comes along, and I don't care how smart they are, they could be a CEO of Silicon Valley, that, that if they say there is no God, they are a fool. A child has more wisdom than them. And maybe that, maybe that doesn't compute to you, but that is the category of wisdom that the Bible talks about. The beginning, hands down, is the fear of the Lord. But let's get back here for a moment um, to what wisdom uh, is. And we, we looked at the, the first definition, I think it was Tozer, um, that was saying wisdom is uh, it's the outworking of morality. So, so again, when you think about where the, the wisdom books are in the Bible, God gives us his law, um, and then they're, they're right there, kind of in the middle, and, and they're, they're there to say, hey, God has told you how to live. Here is how you work that out in daily, everyday life that's for God's covenant people. Um, a theologian called Dan Eber says this, the aim of Old Testament wisdom was a life of virtue, lived in the fear of the Lord in harmony with the order of creation and within the community of God's people. So just to, to look at a few of those main points here. First, it's a life of virtue. Virtue is a word that we don't use a lot these days. Especially in Protestant churches, in, in, in Catholic churches, you'll hear, hear it more, but, but the virtues. And we're going to look at, at the virtues here um, in a moment. But Old Testament wisdom is a life of virtue. And it's lived in fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Not a terrifying fear, but a fear, a reverence for the Lord. Where he matters more than anything else in your life in harmony with the order 
of creation. So again, that goes back to wisdom was there, was present at creation. Wisdom is woven into the fabric of creation. If we try to go against the creative order, we are foolish. Think about the world right now. We have killed all moral absolutes, and you have a world going against the order of creation. Foolishness. Creation is ordered with wisdom and God's divine intent. And then Iber goes on to say, and within the community of God's people, and we're going to show at the end of this, we'll show you how the, how the church, and, and in Old Testament it was Israel, um, is where wisdom is one of the places uh, that wisdom is found. But back to virtue. What is virtue? What are the virtues? And, and I'm not going to ask and, and ask anyone to answer, because I, I, I'm going to guess maybe some of the older folks know, um, but it's just not something that's typically used these days. Um, but to think about virtue, it's good to think about vice. Okay, virtues and, and the vices are um, opposite. Um, you could think about the seven deadly sins, um, but I'm not, not going there right now. For, but right now, to look at the virtues, um, you've got prudence, and, and maybe you don't know what that word means. We're going to define it. Justice, fortitude, and temperance. Okay? So if the Proverbs are living a life uh, of virtue, um, and I'm going to show you from the Proverbs that these words are actually in there. They're not coming from outside the Bible. They're in the Bible. Um, we have to learn, okay, what, well, what is a life of virtue? What, what does that look like? What is a, a life of virtue? Well, the first one, prudence, this is prudence, discretion, discernment, a cautiousness, the ability to find good in situations by choosing the right means of achieving it. And let me give you an example here from Proverbs because um, prudence is not as black and white as we think it is. And, and this is where, again, I know there's black and white thinkers in here, and, and this could confuse you a bit, but, but the Proverbs are, are very situational. They're, it's working. Wisdom is very situational. I mean, just to step back, and I, I think about my own children and, and how Amy and I would discipline a child, that changes based on what's going on in their life. I mean, someone could do something, and, and they need a hug, and they need mom and dad to come and, and, and wrap their arms around them and tell them, hey, you, you're okay. And other times, they don't need a hug. That would be the wrong thing to do. And it could be the same action, but wisdom takes context into play. Again, back to, to the beginning. It's taking all of that schema, all of your things that are going around, and speaking and living God's truth within the larger context of, of your life. And, and you're, there's going to be decisions that, that might not look the same based on your context. Here's an example. Proverbs. Um, oh, well, let's do Proverbs 8, 12. I wisdom dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. So there's the, the word in the Bible. This isn't a made-up word that we're throwing out there. But just so you know what prudence is, this is prudence. There is a proverb that says, suffer a fool according to his folly. Has anyone heard that proverb? Suffer a fool according to his folly. There's another proverb. Do you know what I'm about to say? Do not suffer a fool according to its folly. 
his folly. That is a contradiction, or it's not. The question that Proverbs is asking is, what kind of fool are you dealing with? <laughs> That's the question that it's asking. Like, is this a fool that you suffer, or is this a fool that you don't suffer? And wisdom calls for knowing when to act and knowing how to act. So that's prudence, which is discretion and caution and discernment. Um, justice doesn't need as much of an explanation. We all know what justice is. Proverbs 28, 5, evil men do not understand justice. The world today that talks about social justice this and social justice that does not understand justice. Those who seek the Lord understand it completely. That's justice. You, justice is in the Lord. The Lord is going to frame justice with a certain moral framework. Fortitude. That's, again, a word that we don't use often. Um, fortitude is the same as endurance, strength, perseverance. So those are words you're going to see in the Bible. Um, fortitude it's the demonstration of strength in difficulties and temptations. The ability to overcome fear and other obstacles in one's moral life, fortitude. So at the end of Proverbs, we have this picture of the, the, a woman who is just living out wisdom. And by the way, um, if, you, if you read Proverbs chapters 1 through 9, are the introduction, and then the actual Proverbs are in the rest of the book, and then at the end of the book, you have this picture of a woman beautifully, perfectly living like the rest of the book described. Of course, it can't take every proverb into account, but um, you have lady wisdom described in the early one through nine, and then you have a picture of lady wisdom in Proverbs 31. And again, I want, if I can do anything today, I hope to inspire you to read Proverbs this year, to just go through your Bible, mark it up, think it through, read with your spouse. If you don't have a spouse, read on your own. The Proverbs are an excellent light to your path, an excellent light to your path. Proverbs 31, she dresses herself with strength, fortitude, and makes her arms strong. See, the world that we live in says, if you have any adversity, get out, leave, go quick, don't hang around. And that could be the case. But often the Bible says, no, God maybe has sent that. Stay in it, stay strong, have fortitude, have strength. Fortitude. So we have prudence, we have justice, we have fortitude. And the last one is temperance. Temperance is receiving God's creation and pleasure that God has given us to enjoy in moderation. Proverbs 25, 28, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Think about that for a moment now and think, you know, you might, this may have been you at a time in your life or maybe you know someone, um, but, but if you are without self-control, if you give in to every pleasure, every, um, every inkling of desire in your heart, you, your, your life is going to be in shambles. 
Like that is not the way that God has designed us. He has certainly allowed us to enjoy pleasures and he's given us good things. Like I think about, you know, I, I, I want to have a good meal, maybe a steak this week, okay? Um, but if I ate steak for lunch and for dinner every day, I'm, I'm going, going to have repercussions. And that's just eating. Think about the rest of your life in, in pleasures, whether that pleasure is watching a movie, watching TV, scrolling through TikTok. If we give ourselves to those things, we are going to be left like a city broken into, left without walls. Wisdom and virtue go hand in hand. But ultimately, brothers and sisters, wisdom is found in Christ. Okay, so wisdom culminates and expresses itself perfectly in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 to 24, the Apostle Paul saying, but we, we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Again, the wisdom of God is foolish to the world. The wisdom of God is just foolishness to the world. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. He's the embodied wisdom of God. He is the true image and likeness. He is perfect wisdom. And brothers and sisters, he, hear me, because we're, we're, we're looking at a lot of works-based, um, and I say works-based, um, things to do, how to live. Your salvation is totally in Christ, of Christ, and is a gift to be received. It's a, a gift, grace Full, fully by grace. But if you're in Christ, life and death is still presented to you every day. Life, death, wisdom, folly, every day. Whether you're in Christ or not in Christ, you have that choice every day. Every moment is a choice, and every choice is a renunciation. To say yes to one thing is to say no to a thousand others. And the Bible talks about time as valuable. Your time is valuable. Use it wisely. Do I watch five hours of Netflix tonight, crush through a season of something? And, and some of you probably have never done that, but... Um, or do I maybe go on a walk with my spouse or read a psalm? Do I scroll through TikTok for five hours and at the end of it just be like, I, I don't know, I saw a few videos and um, I'm really no better for any of that. You go through YouTube, conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory, like what, what are we doing with our minds, it matters. I was just doing a little math um, because I think three hours a day of, that's probably a norm for many of us, whether it's three hours a day on the computer, three hours a day television, or three, three hours a day social media, pick your poison. 
three hours a day ends up being roughly, and a little less, but say roughly one-seventh of a week. So if you add up three hours a day times seven days, you're looking at 21 hours, roughly a day. That equals 52 days in a year. That equals one year every seven years. Can you just think about that with me for a moment? Like one year. If you're taking three hours a day to scroll on TikTok or Instagram or social media or whatever it is and using it for three hours a day, in seven years, you would have given one full year to that. Think about that for a moment. And again, I am not against any of this social media. I, I love Netflix. I thank God for, for, for good, a good show that can get me inspired. Or, uh, so I, I'm not against this, but I think we just got to, wisdom is going to tell us, how am I using my time? How am I using my time? Uh, J.I. Packer has a good quote here. Uh, wisdom, among other things, is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. It sees the end from the beginning, so there can be no need to guess or conjecture. Conjecture. Wisdom sees everything in focus, each in proper relation to all. Okay, none of us do that perfectly, but what Packer is getting at is, again, the back to the, the first uh, paragraph about wisdom being this schema. It, it, it's seeing everything. It, it's, if you're disciplining a child, it's taking their life, maybe their last few weeks, maybe their last year of their life, and saying, what have they walked through? Do they need firmness right now, or do they need softness and love? That's wisdom. You know, I, I've often heard, like, people just come out and like, hey, you know, give the kid the rod, give the kid the rod. Like, okay, maybe. Maybe, but maybe they need a hug. Like, the, the, you, you've got to, every circumstance is different. Everything isn't the same. And, that, and that's what we're talking about when we're talking about wisdom. Wisdom sees everything in focus, in proper relationship, relation to all. Give you an example here as we wrap up. Um, suppose you have someone at work that, that is coming against you in a, in a certain way, and, and you feel like you've done nothing to deserve it. Um, you just sense they don't like you. Maybe they don't like you because of your faith. Maybe they don't like you because they just don't like you. Like you remind them of someone that they don't like, didn't like before, and you, you're embodying those characteristics, and they don't like you, and they're making your life difficult. Okay? You want it to go away. You want this person to be fired. You don't want to be in the same department as them. You just want it to go away. But then it comes to you, you think of 1 Peter 1, and you think Peter says, no, you're going to be grieved by various trials. You're going to be tested. Your faith is going to be tested. The genuineness of your faith is going to be tested so that it may result one day in praise and glory. And that runs through your head. And you find a little solace in that. And then you begin to think, well, Christ, maybe this is what he's talking about, turn the other cheek. Maybe this is what he means by love your enemies. And maybe last year you read Pilgrim's Progress. I know a bunch of people with Donna read that this year. And you begin thinking, okay, yeah, this is, uh, 
this, okay, this is it. This is, we're going to have tests. We're going to have trials. We're going to have people come against us and try to woo us away. And you start to realize, okay, this is the walk of a, of a believer. And then you come into the church and, uh, for maybe a Bible study and you, you ask for prayer and you start to get counsel from people within the church. And some of it may seem to be a little different, but you're hearing different voices and, and you're compiling all of this, the scripture, the counsel. And maybe two years ago, you were struggling with fear of man or, or the affirmation of people. And you've realized God has been showing you that uh, you often, you just want to be liked. But the Bible says, don't fear man, fear God. And, and you've been wrestling with this. And then this starts coming into the whole situation. And you're like, okay, maybe God is sending this to conform me to the image of his son because I, I've wanted people's affirmation and I don't have this person's affirmation. So this is a trial and I need to love them and it's for my good. And then you're in the book of Proverbs and you read, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. And, and you realize, okay, may, maybe, um, maybe this is the discipline of the Lord in my life. Okay, and, and, and I know I could maybe lose a few of you there, but that's, the, the Bible says that God disciplines those he loves. And that's when he disciplines us. He is conforming us into the image of his son. And we all have Lots of residue left in, in our beings and souls that need to be conformed to the image of Christ. But you bring all these things. This is the schema. You're, you're taking all of this wisdom from the Bible and from God's people and maybe a good book and you're putting it together and now you view the situation with this person in a totally different way. You can love them. You can trust that it's from God, that he is sovereign. You know that God works all things out for good for those who love them. You can have peace in the situation. You walk in wisdom, you will have peace. There's a, a pastor that, that I read and, and follow, um, and he was part of a larger church, and, and he said a, a lot of times um, young men within the church would, would come to him and ask to be discipled by an older man, which is a great thing, right? That, that should happen. But he would start at one place often, depending on the, the, the man coming in. Um, he would say, do me a favor, read the book of Proverbs first. Read the book of Proverbs. Let's, let's, he, he would say memorize um, a certain amount of them, but um, read the book of Proverbs, let's talk. And he says, you know how many men took me up, young men took me up on that offer? Zero. See, often we want the solution, and we want it quick, and we don't want to pay into it. When God has how to live to the detail, and the detail that's in the book of Proverbs, and then again, balanced with Job and Ecclesiastes, of, of how to live. This is how you walk. This is how to walk. This is the path. You're going to have this situation and that situation. This is what you do here. I mean, it's incredible detail. Brothers and sisters, I, I would just say this. Um, 
The book of Proverbs may just provide what is needed so you don't shipwreck your life. Financially, relationally, maritally, sexually, venting your anger. Like, it's in there. It's all in there. Like, we don't have to wonder, what what does God say? What do I do here? It's there. You're going to find it in some form. And you know that you can shipwreck your life even if you're in Christ. Like, you can be in Christ. You can know him, have salvation, and still live like an utter fool. And you know, I'm not saying anything new. I know you know that. We all can think of people... um, that you just wish would, would walk in a different way and you see the destruction around them. So brothers and sisters, where is wisdom found? It's found in Christ. It's found in his word throughout the whole Bible and it's narrowly found in those five books. And I would just encourage you this morning, don't ignore those five books. Don't ignore those five books. And the church hasn't done, and I say the church, the greater church, we don't do a good job of those five books because it's hard um, when you think about justification by faith and the gospel and the freeness of it. It's hard to know, like, okay, this sometimes feels like works. But you know we're preaching the gospel here. The gospel is preached. But yes, there is a way to live. And then there is a way to live that seems right in the eyes of men and women and in its end. And it leads to death. The last place that, I mean, there's many places, but the last place in the sermon where where God's wisdom is revealed is in the church. Ephesians 3.10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is a bit of a mystery to all of us, but there is something in the gathered church, in the life of the church, that is just showing on a plate the wisdom to the the powers and principalities and to all of us, the wisdom of God. Thanks for tuning in with us. We hope that you found this sermon edifying, encouraging, and challenging. To learn more about Vintage Faith Church, visit VintageFaithCicero.com. And of course, if you live in the area, we invite you to worship the Lord with us on Sunday mornings.